This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 89, and we are recording on July 12th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington. We are coming to you from Book Riot with take two, because I two. just messed up our recording stuff a little bit. So we're going to try this again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so Jen was in the middle of telling a story about how she has like late night downloading habits. Yes, right. Well, so so you were saying how you couldn't remember what you were reading at the moment. And, and, And this has happened to me multiple times where I read right before I go to bed. And sometimes I'm dissatisfied with whatever I'm reading in terms of pacing. Like usually I like the book, but the pacing has to be right for falling asleep reading. And so I'll go and download something from the library on my phone, and I've woken up multiple times in the past two weeks not remembering what book I downloaded, (laughs) and having to like go back and look and be like, ah, yes, I read a chapter of X random book. But the book I'm actually reading right now, I have The Giant Galley of, which is, it's like an 800-page epic that I've been avoiding, but it looks super interesting, and so I finally started it, and it is super good. It's The Rise and Fall of Dodo by Neil Stevenson and Nicole Galland, which is is about a linguist at Harvard who gets like recruited by this very attractive and sh- and slightly shady government operative to it turns out discover why magic has left the world and you know that time travel is also involved because she's writing this from like the 1850s. Like, you don't know how she got there when the book opens, but you know that she's in the 1850s, and she's like, okay, here's what happened. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's so far, I'm really enjoying it. She's got a very pleasantly, like, mild snark going on, and uh, she is, like, you know, like I said, he's like, this, the guy who recruited her is, like, mentioned as attractive, but so far it's not about them. It's about, like, their research that they're doing together and, like, their intellectual relationship, which I appreciate at the moment. So, yes. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right. Well, I am reading Isaac Storm by Eric Larson, oh, which is... Oh, I love that one. I have never read Eric Larson Really? Ever, which oh, is so yeah. strange, I think. Welcome. Thank Welcome. you. Thank you. So this was uh, picked by my book club. The way that my book club works is every month a different member picks the book that we're going to read next. And I love doing it that way because they pick stuff that I would just never pick up. I would never. Like a book about a hurricane in 1900 in Texas? I have no interest in that. But it is great because I've heard really great things about Eric Larson and it's, you know, turning out well. Um, So it's about a hurricane in 1900 that hit uh, Galveston, Texas and killed like 6,000 people and is still to this day the largest natural disaster in American history. And it follows like the the guy, Isaac Klein, who was the resident meteorologist for the U.S. Weather Bureau in Galveston uh, in the hours before the storm. And he was like, this does not look right. Like that's the signs he was reading from the weather that was going on and like the surf swells and stuff like that were like nothing he'd ever seen before, but he kept being told by the U S weather bureau that it was fine. And then 6,000 people died. So that's what I'm reading. It's depressing. <laughs> but, uh, it's very, you know, it's kind of, it's like fast paced. There's a lot of really interesting stuff about a hurricane's form, which, um, 
is not interesting objectively to me, but is he's like making it interesting. So I don't know. We'll see. It's very dramatic. Like, and then the dust motes rise over the African savannah, you know, savannah up into the air. It's like, okay, I guess that's how storms happen. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I loved the meteorology history in that. Like, it was not a thing I ever thought I would learn about. So it was super interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm liking it. Thanks, book club. Okay, so how the show works. Like I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a book to fill a hole in your heart that something that you loved has left, or you're in a reading slump, or you need something for your book club, or you need a gift for someone, any of those things, you can send them to us and we will answer them for you. You can email your reading recommendation request to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or drop them in the form that's in the show notes on the site for every episode. Uh, if your question is time sensitive, please note that in the subject line of the um, email, or if you use the form, put it in the first line so that we can see it and try to answer it on time. If we aren't going to get to it on the show or your question has already been answered on the show, then we will email you back instead of answering it on the show because we don't want you to have to sit around and wait. Um, And that's it. So we will get to our first question. I will tell you about our first sponsor and we will roll on. All right. So the first question is from Sarah, who says, I have never read a graphic novel, but I'm excited to get into them. However, I really am just not into fantasy or sci-fi. Where should I start? Okay, we have lots of suggestions for you. So many. Because we've limited ourselves to two on the show. Um, But first, we're going to talk about our first sponsor, which is Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Kong. This is one of the most anticipated reads of the, certainly of the summer, but I would say of 2017 entirely. So it's about a 30-year-old woman named Ruth, whose life is kind of at, you know, like a crossroads. She's quit her job. She's left town, and she's gone home to live with her parents to find that the situation at her parents' house is way more complicated than she thought it was going to be. Her dad has developed early-onset Alzheimer's, um, so he's only lucid very erratically, and her usually very steady mom is lucidly erratic, is what they describe it as in the talking points. Like, she is trying to fix the situation and trying to get everything in control and doesn't really know how to handle her husband having Alzheimer's, early onset Alzheimer's. Um, So this is a debut from an original new literary voice, and this is a good fit for, like, if you're fans of... Lauren Groff or Jamie Attenberg, Alexandra Kleeman, uh, Miranda July, those sort of literary fiction uh, authors, then you will enjoy this. So go check that out. That's Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Kong, and that is out from Henry Holt. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Okay, graphic novels that are not fantasy or sci-fi. I'll just keep going. Um, I picked March uh, by John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, and it's a three-volume set. So you read the first one and if you like it, you can continue on. It's a kind of a graphic memoir. It's about his experiences in the 60s in the civil rights movement. So if you're unfamiliar with John Lewis, he's a congressman in Georgia uh, to this day who was a um, very important and integral member of the civil rights movement in the 60s. He um, grew up in Alabama on a sharecropper's farm and then, of course, as we know, ended up in the halls of Congress. So this three-volume set is about his kind of journey as a child in a, you know, a very racist situation, um, up through how he fought that and the organizations he joined. It's a really fascinating look at like the history, a behind the scenes history of the civil rights movement, like not just Martin Luther King, but like all the other organizations and the conflicts that they had, the like internal conflicts that they had, how they dealt uh, externally with like their PR, how they handled, um, their relationships with like the presidents, but it, Kennedy and, and um, Johnson, um, what happened after the Civil Rights Act was passed, all this stuff. And it focuses a lot on the march on Washington in uh, 63. Um, so it is a little bit, I mean, not a little bit, it's violent. So if that's a thing that bothers you, that is, it's like on the page. Um, Lewis 
was beaten by the police and arrested several times. And that is, of course, on the page. But it's just such an important uh, look at this, like a very important congressman, but also such an integral part of our history, especially right now. And I think it just won uh, a National Book Award. Yes. Yes. It just won the National Book Award. Um, And I have the three volume set and it's great. The art is really well done. Um, and you know, John Lewis is just a great storyteller. So I love it. So that's March, um, book one or book two, book three. They're all called March, uh, by John Lewis. I picked this one summer by Mariko Tamaki and Jillian Tamaki, but not only because it's a great graphic novel and a good intro, I think to the medium, but also I love, like, why would you not want to read a book called This One Summer in the Summer? It's perfect. <laughs> um, so, and point of interest, Mariko Tamaki and Jillian Tamaki are cousins, not sisters. I always think that's interesting. Anyway, this is a graphic novel, like I said, about uh, two girls who are hmm, 12, 11, right around there. And they are best friends every summer because they, Rose, who's one of the girls, they go to this lake house in Owago Beach. And her friend Wendy is also there, uh, but they only like see each other every summer. So they, you know, go the whole year without seeing each other and they meet up again in the summer and they're best friends. But this year's a little different because Rose's parents are fighting. And then Rose and Wendy are sort of exploring around and end up spying on the older teenagers at like the local like grocery store hangout or whatever and they discover some teenage intrigues that's going on and the two of them feel very different ways about it so it's 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 a coming of age story it's about friendship it's about dealing with family issues and one of the things i love about it is that you're seeing it from their perspective so you know some things as a grown up about what is going on around them that they don't and i thought they handled that really well also the art is gorgeous. Oh my goodness. I sometimes just take out this book just to look at it. It's it's very beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. I love the style and the way they decided to do the coloring and oh, it's so good. So that is This One Summer by Mariko Tamaki and Jillian Tamaki. Okay, question two is from Sitzel, who says, I am looking for science fiction set in Asia by Asian writers for my book club and to read something in the vein of own voices. I would prefer it to not be YA, but that's not a requirement. I tend to like science fiction with great characters over great science. Okay, um, for those of you who are not like denizens of the book turnet, uh, own voices <laughs> is, is a, it's like a hashtag uh, that was created by Corinne, ooh, I don't know how to say her last name, Duvenay? Divis? Yes. Um, to indicate when books are by marginalized authors and are about, uh, are about marginalized characters and are written by authors who come from that marginalized background. So that's what that means. So essentially this person is asking for science fiction set in Asia written by an author from that country. Um, okay. So this was hard. I mean, there's like, there's the three body problem. Um, and there's, um, oh my gosh, I'm totally blank. Non-Fox Gambit, but those aren't well, the three-body problem is set in Asia. Nine Fox Gambit is set in space. Um, but that's, like, all I could think of. So I did some deep diving on this one and came up with anthologies. I guess if you're, if you're looking for science fiction or fantasy or speculative fiction from other countries, short fiction seems to be an easier place to find it, uh, is what I've kind of discovered. So my pick for you is Invisible Planets, which is an anthology edited by Ken Liu. And this is um, a collection of short stories of short science fiction stories all out of China. Um, so some of the stories ha- are like award women, award winning. Uh, a couple of them have been included in different, you know, best short stories of the year anthologies, including this one. Um, 
but mostly they're just like Ken Liu's favorites. <laughs> it seems like like these are just short stories from Chinese authors that he really likes. Um, and a lot of them he focused a lot on a younger generation of authors out of China. So he's he's looking at like the rising stars of Chinese speculative fiction. Um, something that's I really appreciated about this collection is that there are some essays in the back of it that explore the history of science fiction in China. So there's like a historical overview of where these um of, of like how the genre has been received and where it came from and like the, the like founding authors of the genre in China. There's also an essay um, about like what makes Chinese science fiction Chinese. Like how does it need to be said in China? Does it have to be by an author who lives there? Can it be by someone who like immigrated? You know, so a lot of different things to consider. Um, and then of course it's just a collection of short stories. I don't tend to like recommend short story stuff for book clubs because I think people can get caught up on a, a story they don't like and then they sort of ditch the whole thing. Um, but with with an anthology, they're not all from the same author, so it's easier to like, well, I didn't like this, but the next one might be amazing because it's an entirely different writer, so who knows? Um, so give that a try. That's Invisible Planets, Contemporary Chinese Science Fiction and Translation by Ken Liu. I had some that were ebook only. I was like, <laughs> maybe not everybody in your book club wants to do ebook, but I love the anthology I'm recommending, also an anthology. Apparently, we have an accidental theme here. Uh, it is, I know. It's a good theme, though. I love anthologies, personally. <laughs> so the book is The Sea is Ours, edited by Jamie Go and Joyce Cheng, and it is all Southeast Asian writers writing Southeast Asian steampunk, which is super enjoyable, let <laughs> me say. I'm not a huge steampunk reader. I think I've read, like, possibly five books in the genre in my entire life, but when I do read it, I tend to enjoy it because I pick... I, people give me really good ones, and this is just oh man! I this collection is great. There's some stuff that's like really kind of more along the horror side, and then there's some stuff that's very much more on the like steampunky science side of things. Um, there's sky whales in one of them, <laughs> like with this, which is excellent. You get some cyborg stuff. Uh, you get um, like feuding cultures and politics and then you get these really deep like personal stories like the range is just enormous and I really feel like if you know there really will be a story in here from for everyone in your book group like they will find a favorite um and maybe like love many of them because that's how I felt after reading this so yeah really inventive really fantastic you don't need to be well versed in steampunk to get into it uh and it's just it's just great I like Oh yeah, I'm now I'm like having all these memories and want to be like and this one and this one, but I'll just I'll just tell you you should check it out. So that's the sea is ours, tales from steampunk Southeast Asia, edited by Jamie Go and Joyce Chang. Chang, sorry, I'm possibly saying that wrong. Okay, next question is from Teeny, who says, I've been thinking and don't know how I missed this in my reading life, but some of my favorite movies are multi-generational female-led stories that jump back and forth in their timelines. Examples are movies like Fried Green Tomatoes, How to Make an American Quilt, and Now and Then. Please help correct this 90s kid's need for some lady friendship books. What you got, Amanda? I forgot that the movie Now and Then existed, and now I, like, <laughs> I have a deep need to watch it. <laughs> Remember Christina Ricci's like 12 years old in that book? Oh, man. Oh, it's so good. Okay, <clears throat> I picked The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan, which I am actually in the middle of. Well, not in the middle of. I'm almost finished with it. 
But why didn't you tell me about the Joy Luck Club, people? It's like so amazing. <laughs> I I'm say sorry, that as if it's not like a modern. The, like it's a modern classic. It's a modern Amanda. classic. And it has a movie. And like, I know. what am I complaining about? You <laughs> have been told. You have been told. I know. I have been told. But um, I never got around to it. Anyway, so I picked this up this week because it was sent to me in like a, this uh, giant new collection of like penguin orange classics of American fiction. And so I picked it up, and it's perfect for this question. It's about four women who immigrated to San Francisco from China in um, 1949, and they, you know, live their lives as immigrants in America, and then they have children, um, and so it follows the four women and then their four four of their daughters. Um, and so at the beginning of the book, one of the women has died, and one of the her daughter is, like, replacing her at the mahjong table um, where they get together. Is it every week or every month? I don't remember. Um, they get together periodically to play mahjong and, like, you know, eat dim sum and, and tell stories about their lives in China and all that. And when she's uh, she sits down to play with these women who are, you know, her aunties, like she's known them her whole life. Um, but she realizes as she's sitting there that like, she didn't know anything about her mother. Like her mother was a locked box uh, about her experiences growing up in China, what her life was like before she came to the U S how she feels about, um, her daughter or her daughter's life. And so as you bounce throughout the book, going from the perspective of the four mothers and the four daughters, you realize that that's the common thread between all of the daughters is that they don't really know their mothers that well um, because their their mothers had whatever experiences that they had in China and then they came to the U.S. and kind of locked all that away to start over and to try and give their daughters like, you know, the American dream essentially. But in doing that, they didn't give them themselves like they they didn't tell them that they didn't tell them any personal stories um they tried to connect them with their culture but they didn't give them that like personal part of themselves so you go it's like very much about the experience of growing up in china in the early 20th century but then also about like being a teenager in the 60s with immigrant parents and who like don't speak very good english and what are you supposed to do with that when like you're experiencing your own kind of racism and it's just very complicated like there's a lot going on it's obviously about the immigrant experience but it's way more i think about like mother daughter relationships especially between uh, mother daughter relationships in the context of like first generation immigration um and it's so it's just so good like i'm just i'm underlining i don't write in my books that often but in this one i'm just all over the place with the writing it's great i love it i'm gonna watch the movie so yeah so that's the Joy <laughs> club by amy tan i'll go watch i'll go watch now and then and then i will watch the Joy club i would like to hear back how that movie is because i never the saw Light. it yeah. but i watched I watch... the trailer yeah and i i don't know i don't know yeah I read the book in high school. It's been a minute. I should reread it. I probably would get more out of it now, honestly. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Okay, my pick for this one is one that I am t- I'm here to tell you that you all need to be reading Gloria Naylor. Nobody talks about her except, well, Nisi Shaw recommended her to all of us, and I took her up on it. And, oh, man, Gloria Naylor is so good. The book I picked for you is Mama Day, which is, it takes place in a couple locations and a couple timelines, which is what you're asking for. Um, there is this little island. I don't think this is real. I'm pre- I, like, Googled a little bit. I'm pretty <laughs> sure this is, I'm pretty sure this is not real. But in the book, there's this little island called Willow Springs, right off the coast of Georgia, that's like through some weird historical shenanigans, not technically part of any state. So, um, 
And it's this tiny island entirely inhabited by black people who are the descendants of um, plantation slaves from this plantation that was on the island. But they, the plantation owner had this woman who convinced him to sign the whole, like, the property over to her descendants. So they have sort of have control of the island. And, like, it's like a quiet, sleepy place where everybody knows everybody forever and ever going back to, you know, the first when back to slave times and um and the story focuses on this one family of women who are there's uh the youngest one is coco and she's in her 20s and the older two are her great aunts um and there is like oh my goodness so the Coco has left for New York City because she's just like, I know everybody here forever. I need to get out. Also, maybe I will actually find somebody I want to marry and like have a life and a job and things will be more interesting. So she leaves for New York City and like writes home periodically uh, and then does meet a man and brings him home. And one of the sort of underlying elements of this story is this, you know, sort of folk magic. And so a lot happens. I don't want to spoil anything, but a lot happens. Um, and it's just the relationships between Coco and her great aunts are so good. The way that they un- that Naylor unwinds the story of like not only this land, but this specific family of women is so gorgeous. I I cannot. I just loved it so much. Like I lose my words. And also structurally, it's very interesting because she switches POV styles depending on which characters she's talking talking about oh it's just it's just an amazing novel on so many levels but i think it will definitely satisfy your like female relationships multi-generational plus it gives you some of that folk magic feel which i love so that's mama day by gloria naylor okay question four is from ashley who says i recently read the vegetarian and i found it absolutely incredible i've made it a mission to try to read other translated books what are some suggestions you have okay um i went with penance by Kanaminato, and it's translated by Philip Gabriel, which I did not write down, but I will. Um, and I picked this because it's a mystery, which the vegetarian isn't a mystery, but there is a lot of, like, what is happening uh, <laughs> in, in that book, which is similar to this one. Um, Penance is about four women who, at the start of the book, are grown, who are telling, like, they're, they're, they're writing letters that they are narrating to you, uh, to another character. And through this, these, these letters, uh, you realize that when they were kids, the, these four women, they had another friend named Emily, um, who they were with when she is murdered, Emily's murdered. They are like hanging out on a ball court and then a mysterious stranger comes and convinces Emily to go away with him and the girls don't do anything to stop him because they don't, he, do, he doesn't seem suspicious at all. Um, and later they find her dead, like in a locker room, I think. Um, and so these four women are witnesses, not to the murder, but they like, they've seen the man's face. And at, at the time the book opens, they're coming up on the statute of limitations at, at the time. I don't know if it's still like this, but at the time um, that the book is written in Japan, there's like a, I think a 20 year statute of limitations on prosecution for murder. And so they're coming up on that 20 year mark. Um, and they have all been dealing with like the guilt of not being able to identify the murderer of their friend for this entire time. And they've carried all that into their adulthood. Um, and so they each perform their own acts of penance in their lives to try and like balance the universal wrong that they feel like they've done. 
Um, and so you're following these four women as they like do that, as they act out the, these acts of penance that they feel like they have to perform um, to make up for something that obviously they had, was not their responsibility. Um, but you're also figuring out who the murderer was and like what happened to the little girl. So I listened to it on audio, which I don't really recommend. I didn't love the audiobook. The narrator's kind of weird. She does this like sing song teenage weird kind of voice for the girls but um it's still a great book and it was even though i didn't like the narrator i still found myself like sitting in my freaking minivan in my driveway like <gasps> what's gonna happen you know um so I, I really liked it so yeah that's penance by kanai Minato and translated by philip gabriel i picked the cue by basma abdelaziz translated by elizabeth jacquette this book it's short but it's really intense it is a sort of surreal, contemporary-ish novel about uh, a modern-day Egypt where there is this, like, the, after an, a, a popular uprising, there's this sort of giant thing they call the gate, giant building gate thing. And everybody is required to get permission, like, signed paperwork from the gate in order to do really almost anything. And so there's this giant queue, giant line for Americans, um, in front of the gate, and it never opens. So everybody is just waiting forever in this line to get permission. And one of them is a guy who was shot but needs to have permission to remove the bullet from his body, which, because it was part of a political event, they the government is denying ever happened in the first place. So, like, how can you get surgery for, for bullets that aren't there if you didn't actually get shot? Like, it's very... Kafka-esque in that sense Mm -hmm. and it's super intense and it's it jumps around from you know different sort of people who are waiting in line and then this guy who's trying to get surgery and the doctor who's trying to treat him and decide like how far is he willing to step out of line in order to help or not help this guy it's really it's got that like super dark humor to it it's very strange it's you feel like you're like there standing in the hot sun just forever waiting with these people in this impossible situation uh so yeah it's a it's a really intense and really good book and it's only like yeah it's like 200 pages long maybe tops uh so that's the cue by basma abdulaziz translated by elizabeth jacket Oh, and it's time for our second sponsor, which I am going to tell you about. It is Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero, which is a novel that takes the sort of Scooby-Doo detective type architect and delivers a Lovecraftian, horror-y, demon-spawn-filled interpretation thereof. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like you do. amazing. Everything you just said is amazing. I thank you. I try. I do try. It's about the, the so these uh, people who are now grown-ups um, who were in the, what they called the Blyton Summer Detective Club, so like teens, you know, solving mysteries, and now they're grown up, and the team is getting back together, and they're trying to figure out what actually happened during their final case, and this is an interesting thing about the author. He taught himself English. He lives in Barcelona, and he he grew up speaking Catalan and Spanish. Um, and his first novel was in was not oh, was in Catalan, I believe. Super interesting, right? Um, and I cannot imagine trying to teach myself English. English is like the stupidest language in terms of grammar rules. So super impressive. Um, and he also, but he was a huge fan of like Hollywood blockbusters and Hollywood pop 
culture. And so this is this is sort of the background to why he wrote this novel. So if you if that sounds interesting to you, which I mean, you know, Demon Spawn and Scooby Doo <laughs> and and horror and mysteries and who knows what all, uh, you should check it out. It's Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero from Doubleday. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right, our next question is from Theodora, who says, Can you please recommend books with characters with mental illness? I recently have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and it really helps reading about characters that go through similar experiences. I read It's Kind of a Funny Story, The Rest of Us Just Live Here, and All the, right, all the Bright Places. I enjoy YA, but I would like to read other genres as well. I usually like my books as diverse as possible. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I went with Haldon Hyacinths for this one. It's by Melody uh, Miozzi. And this is a memoir, I, which I, I went with nonfiction because you said you wanted, you know, other genres. So I went with, like, entirely not YA. Nonfiction. Um, so Melody is uh, Iranian-American. She's born to Persian parents um, who at, like, the height of the Islamic Revolution. Uh, and she lives in the U.S. When she's 18, she gets really sick. Like, she has, like, a, a physical illness, life-threatening. Um, she almost dies. Her community really surrounds her with a lot of support, um, and then she attempts suicide. She gets uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and unlike when she had her really horrible physical illness, this is completely different. Her family wants her to keep her illness a secret. Her community is not there for her, um, and the medical establishment treats her very poorly. Her experience being hospitalized is not great. Um, and so she has to deal with like this shame that she doesn't personally feel about having bipolar disorder, but that her family and her community are trying to put on her about it. And instead of doing that, she becomes a really outspoken advocate for the rights of people with mental illness. Um, she has spent most of her, she's an attorney now, and she's spent, I think, most of her life up to this point fighting for the rights of people who have mental illnesses and fighting the stigmas that come along with being uh, mentally ill and especially with bipolar disorder. Um, so it is, you know, it's both like a funny kind of tongue-in-cheek memoir about hospitalization, um, but it's also kind of, a, a, I guess, like a call to action almost of, of things that we can do to better the way that society treats um, people with mental illnesses. So it is not YA, obviously. She is a grown-up. But she's 18, or she's a young adult when she first is first diagnosed and attempts suicide. So um, it's not, you know, the genres that you're used to, but it's got some, some like, crossover a little bit. So that's Haldol and Hyacinth, A Bipolar Life by Melody Muezzi. I picked... The graphic memoir, Hyperbole and a Half by Allie Broche, just in case you haven't already got it, um, because you didn't mention it, and it's kind of my go-to uh, when people are looking for books about mental illness, and that is because it is the funniest and one of the most heartbreaking uh, sort of chronicles I've read. Allie ha suffers from depression, um, and she... It, it, it's it's not like a memoir with a clear start and finish. It's more like these are little episodes from her life, and they're everything from like how incredibly dumb one of her dogs is. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I forgot about the dog. So good, so good. To like what it feels like to be at the bottom of a depression and trying to just like exist is not even possible. And then, you know, thinking about like cleaning or feeding yourself or talking to another human, she's so good at capturing 
what that is like. Um, and so, yeah, it will, it like to the point where actually some people I know have found it a little bit triggering because like it's too accurate. Um, so I don't know if, you know, fair note, but I, I think it's one of the best depictions of like, you know, how your life is not just about that one thing, but how that thing shapes your life. So she's talking about more than her depression, but you can really see how it all ties together for her. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's it's so funny and so beautiful and, and so emotional, which is crazy because the drawings are like the most ridiculously like, like word art yeah it's like <laughs> paint she made them in microsoft paint yeah. so they're you know super pixelated and ridiculous but somehow she manages to make that work it's i mean it's a feat it is a, this book is a feat of many kinds so that is hyperbole and a half by ali brush okay co-signed mm. our, our next question is from sam oh boy. <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm like preemptively excited to hear you talk about this question. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna it's gonna be long i'm gonna say a lot of things okay so sam says i'm a big reader of fantasy it's always been my favorite and prefer a genre however i'm also a gay man who enjoys reading about gay men preferably if a romance is involved so to find that i pretty much had to go outside the fantasy genre I'd love if I could read a quality fantasy novel with gay characters and maybe a little bit of romance. Okay. (laughs) I have never been so conflicted about recommending a book (laughs) in my life. Okay, so my pick is Captive Prince. It's by C.S. Picot. um, And uh, I finished this book and then could not process my feelings. I like went on Instagram and was like, guys, help me feel my feelings. I don't know what to think about. (laughs) And then I went on like our insider Slack and was like, somebody please tell me what to think. And we texted for like 20 minutes about it. Even though I hadn't read it. (laughs) So here's the, here's the thing. I really liked it and I, I'm already on hold for the next two books. It's a trilogy. Um, and I will say that, like, the romance is not consummated in the first book. At the end of the first book, the two heroes still hate each other. So you have to keep going if, like, you're, if that's what you want, that kind of satisfaction. Um, it set, it's set, it's a fantasy novel set in, like, a, a, an ancient Greek kind of universe. The main character's name is Damon. Uh, he's the crown prince to the throne of his country, which is called Akalos. Um, and this is, like, a slave-owning country. Like, their slaves are... Ray, I can't tell if they're like captured or raised from birth. I don't remember, but either way, their slaves are trained to be sexual submissives in like the modern concept of what that means. Um, so they're they're sex slaves basically. Um, and so he his uh, his father dies. Damon's father dies, and instead of ascending the throne, Damon's half brother stages like this military coup, seizes power, and then sends Damon off to another country as a slave, as a gift. Uh, except he's not. They're saying that he's killed him. So, like, they're saying that Damon is dead, um, and so his brother can take over the country. And Damon is sent to Ver, which is like their their sworn enemy, to their crown prince, whose name is Laurent. Um, and I y'all don't like him. Like, I don't. I don't like everyone in this book owns slaves. Like, everybody either owns slaves or is a slave. The relationship between Laurent and Damon is fraught. Like, they they are not fans of each other. Obviously, Damon does not appreciate being held in slavery. Laurent doesn't um, like Damon because their countries are have been sworn enemies for all of these years. They just signed a, a treaty a couple of years ago. But uh, Laurent's brother was killed uh, in battle, and so he's got a lot of, like, prejudice against these people. It's, it's kind of like if Anne Rice's Sleeping Beauty met Game of Thrones, but 
Greece. Uh, my problems with the book. Wait, did you say Greece? But in Greece, like in ancient oh, Greece. Oh, I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Not like the movie Greece. <laughs> right, in Greece. Yeah. I got you, I got you. So there's like tons of court intrigue. Of course, Damon like tries to escape and um, Laurent, there's the miss, there's like a really, there's a lot of questions surrounding Laurent. Like he doesn't, Veer is also a slave-owning uh, society, but he, but the, but Laurent, who is like their crown prince, doesn't really participate in any of that, and so everyone kind of looks at him sort of sideways. There's like a lot of um, what do you call it, like treason and all this. Like it's just it's fast-paced. It's a great read. It's very well written, but everyone is a slave, and like I have a really hard time with the idea that consent can exist in a master-slave relationship. And this is a romance novel, so like eventually these two we know come together. But, like, one of them is the slave that I don't know. So, like, I'm massively conflicted about this, obviously. The reason why I'm recommending it is because I have been told by Instagram, my Instagram followers and people on Slack, that the arc of the trilogy is that they come together to end the slave uh, the slave trade in both of their countries. Like, that's the, the arc of this trilogy is the ending of that injustice, which is why I feel cool with saying that... Um, this is an acceptable thing to write a story about, I guess. I don't know. I mean, you can write a story about whatever you want, obviously. But this is why I feel okay continuing to read it. Um, so all the trigger warnings, there's like floggings. Obviously, there's slavery. Um, there's some pedophilia. There's a lot of sexual abuse, obviously. Um, but I still liked it. And I just still feel really weird about it. Like talking about it is really hard. I don't know. But I liked it. And I want you to go read it, Sam. And I want you to tell me what you think. That's what I want. I want you to tell me what, what you think. Okay. So that's Captain Prince. I'm going to stop talking now by C.S. Picot. I'm going to sit down. I'm so tired now. I'm suddenly like, exhausted. <laughs> I mean, that was a lot of feelings. I think it's fascinating. I need to get it so that I can have feelings with you. Yeah. Like um, get it in the library or something. Please read it. And yeah. Tell me how, I don't know. Feel, I don't know how I will feel about it, which is the thing I'm curious about. Okay. So my pick for you is significantly less problematic, potentially. Well, I don't know. Who knows? But um, at least on the surface, less problematic is Amberlow by Lara Elena Donnelly, which they have been describing as John le Carre meets Cabaret, which is not far off the mark. It is a sort of second world historical not really fantasy because there's no magic, but because it takes place in a world that's not ours and it's like a totally new world building thing, that's technically that's fantasy. So, but I think you'll like it. Um, it is, it takes place in this place called Amberlow City, which is one of these four provinces, as it were. And it is the one that's known for being like very louche and like they have gambling and cabaret and, you know, smuggling and drugs and very liberal society, even though it's also like, you know, you're not supposed to be gay and um, the politics are weird and there's rules about lots of things. But the Amberlow is like very like, like think of it as like roaring 20s kind of situation. And the main characters are Cyril DePaul, who is a spy who is having an affair with sort of the king of smugglers, um, Aristide Macricosta, who is also like an MC and drag queen at this cabaret. And so clearly they are not supposed to be doing things together, not not supposed to be happening, but they kind of like, you know, turn a blind eye, pretend that they don't know exactly what each other is up to so that they can continue seeing each other because they really enjoy it. Um, And there are some great, the two have amazing, in chemistry on the page. Oh my goodness. Their scenes are just 
the best. Um, and Cyril gets a new assignment that then sort of puts him in a position where he has to be a turncoat if he wants to live. And this involves a lot of badness for a lot of people. So there's high stakes, but this relationship between Cyril and Aristide is like very much central to everything else that goes on. And the characters are so good. There's also this dancer named Cordelia who like is very street, but trying to like be taken for someone who's more posh than she actually is. And she's like a drug runner. And I like everybody is doing questionable things, but they're really like you really are like, yeah, I I mean, that seems legit to me. <laughs> like you're like, that seems sure. I see your reasons for that. Like, yes, go carry on with your like, you know, illicit enterprises. Um, and then, you know, as this political situation that they're facing sort of unravels, it gets very intense. Oh, my goodness. I was very nervous for everyone. The ending is like, uh, it's really you will have feelings at the end of this book. Uh, so that is Amber Lowe by Lara Elena Donnelly. All right. We had a lot of feelings just now. I'm so, so, so tired. I feel, I feel like I need <laughs> you a can nap do now. it. Two more questions. Okay. <laughs> um, this next one is from Chloe, who says, I'm trying to get into post-apocalyptic books, but I don't know where to start. I recently read Station Eleven, and now I want more. There seems to be no shortage of YA post-apocalyptic novels, but I've read several, and so far have not liked any of the ones I've read. I've never not liked YA, but I've never been too crazy about it either, so I figure I better look at adult. She she apologizes for, like, deal you know, the genre words that are inescapable here. Um, okay. So, so I picked free. I'm just going to keep going. I picked born by Jeff Vandermeer, which is newly out and is a really super weird and very enjoyable post-apocalyptic book that takes place. My, in my head, it's LA, but I think I'm probably wrong. But anyway, it's like a coastal city in, and everything is just ruined and destroyed. And the main character, Rachel, is a scavenger. And one day she, so here's one of the first super weird thing about this is that the, the city is basically ruled by this giant, like giant flying bear, super giant flying bear. Cause you know, obviously, um, like it's clearly like a genetic experiment gone horribly wrong. And now there's this giant flying bear on the loose, like terrorizing the city. And, but like everything sticks to him because he's enormous and like covered in fur. And so you can scavenge on the bear and like hope that he doesn't know and she finds this thing, this like green lump of stuff. Like, is it animal, vegetable, mineral? Don't know. Looks really interesting. So she takes it home and she names it Born. And it like grows into this being. And their relationship is one of the most fascinating things I've read in a while. Like, Rachel feels very maternal, but she has this partner, Wick, who is, like, not... She, he's like, how could you bring a random thing into our, like, safe place where there are no safe places in the city in the first place? And, like, you don't know what it's going to turn into. You don't know what it's going to do. It's too smart. It's weird. Like, ugh, not into it. <laughs> and so there's a bunch of sort of this, like, weird found family dynamics as well as, like, how how do you survive in this ruined city with the giant bear? So there's a lot going on. It's really interesting. Jeff Vandermeer has a tendency to give you a really surreal story and then not like 
at the end of it, you're like, but wait, what actually happened? This one I felt like had a lot more closure, which I appreciated. Um, like you do feel like you understand some things about how the world got this way and what was going on. Um, and I just, I really enjoyed it. So that's Born by Jeff Vandermeer. Jeff Vandermeer is starting to get like China Mayville levels in my head of like, yeah. what's your brain? I know. His brain is a strange, strange yeah, place. Like, I like, I support it though. Are I support you? it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So my pick for you is The Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker. Um, the thing that I really loved about Station Eleven was that it was less about the, you know, huge explosion drama of the end of the world. It was more about like the quiet ways that that changes you know, your everyday life or, or uh, your interpersonal relationships, um, I thought. Anyway, so The Age of Miracles is a lot like that. It's about an 11-year-old girl named Julia and her family. They live in, you know, like the suburbs of California. And then they wake up one day to find out that the rotation of the Earth has started to slow. And so it's a it's a slow slowing, <laughs> if you'll pardon that. Um, but as that happens, the days and the nights both get longer and longer and longer. You know, the gravity starts to become kind of wonky. Of course, like wildfires spread. Um, and so it's a slow but increasing pressure on the everyday lives of people. It starts off to be where, like, you can just cover your windows um, with blackout paper and it's fine. But then the days become so long that it's, you know, an obvious, obviously life-threatening. And then the cold side becomes kind of obviously life-threatening. You never get, in this book, you never really get to, like, the end of the world. Like, it, you never get to where everyone has, no one's able to overcome this new environmental circumstance because it's more about, like, Julia's parents' marriage falling apart and, like, her falling in love for the first time in the midst of all of this upheaval. Um, and, like, her grandfather, who thinks that this is all a big government conspiracy and that people are actually just coming for his stuff. So he started cataloging his stuff. <laughs> and, like, how people handle um, a slow descent into the end, <laughs> which sounds really nihilistic, but it's not, like, a depressing book necessarily. It's just kind of quiet and melancholy in a lot of the same ways that Station Eleven was. So that's The Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker. Cosign. <laughs> All right. Last question is from Sasha, who says, I'm a sucker for sad books, especially those that revolve around loneliness. The History of Love, Everything I Never Told You, and Orcs and Creek, is that an odd third? <laughs> We're all fantastically devastating for me. I'm looking for recommend recommendations that will send me to that despairing place in the company of the fictional. <clears throat> okay. I just keep going. I picked Shelter uh, by Jung Yoon, which was, I think, a new release last year. Um, and it's about a man named Kyung who lives in, you know, the suburbs with his wife and their kids and a few miles away, um, their parents live. Um, and his life is fine. Like he's, the, him and his wife are, are really burdened with a lot of horrible debt, like credit card debt from keeping up with the Joneses type stuff. He's not that sad. He's a professor and he's not like super satisfied with his job. And his life is just sort of whatever. He doesn't have a great relationship with his parents. Actually, I think they're estranged at the beginning of the book. Um, and he's just kind of trying to make it. Um, and then at the beginning of the book, his parents... Um, are victims of a home invasion, like a really violent home invasion. Um, his mother is hospitalized and sexually assaulted. Their maid, same. Um, their father is hospitalized. Their house is torn up. And so his parents move in with him. And in this kind of like almost a Victorian locked room kind of such, like setting, they have to work out all of their 
problems and everybody just kind of starts to fall apart. Um, and so it's about like family dynamics and what do you do when you're faced with having to care for parents who treated you really poorly uh, when you were a child and also like his marriage starts to fall apart. It's just really sad. <laughs> like in this house full of people who should all love each other, none of that is there. Like none of that is present. There's no familial tenderness or grace given from anyone to anyone. Uh, everyone in this book is very hard um, and and lonely. Like they purposefully isolate themselves to protect themselves from each other. So it's like this imposed loneliness. And it's and it's also like a really fast read. There's that mystery element of, of the home invasion of like, who did this thing to my aging parents and how am I supposed to care for them? Um, but then he like just spirals into like a total breakdown. So if you want depressing, there you go. It's shelter. <laughs> By Jung Yun. <laughs> it's super violent in the beginning. P.S. I had to I had to put it down because it was like, wow, this is awfully ouch. Um, speaking of books that need trigger warnings, <laughs> my next pick for you is a girl is a half formed thing by Amor McBride. I went down this rabbit hole of like, what is the loneliest book I've ever read, mm. and this is the book. Uh, the main character is just alone, like singularly alone. Um, She grows up in a difficult family. Her brother suffers a brain injury in his childhood that makes him like not 100% functional. And she is a victim of sexual assault. Um, She is really conflicted about being at home versus sort of running from her terrible home life because of her brother, who she feels very connected to. And so it's like, does she leave him behind? What happens, you know, to her feelings when she leaves him behind? When she comes home, it's just awful and complicated. And she... Like the, like the the book does not end well. Um, like it, it's it's really really sad. Um, and but it's also very compelling. And the thing that McBride does here is she writes in this very fragmentary style. So the sentences are not even really sentences. And I don't read a lot of experimental literature. Uh, it's just not a thing that I seek out regularly. But I, you know, this book sort of teaches you how to read it. Like after the first 10 pages, I was like, yes, I'm in this thing. I get it. I can, I can, I can put these words together and they are meaningful to me. And it was just really an intense emotional experience that I'm so glad to have read. Like, it's a weird thing to say that a book about, like, you know, sexual assault and suicide and, and horrible family life is a thing I'm glad to have read, but I'm really glad to have read this book. Um, it's it's a really powerful story about how do we, you know, deal or not deal with these situations in our lives. So, you know, you asked. <laughs> so here I feel so go. weird about this question. Like I I'm, know. It's like, well, but I mean, you, you know, depressing books have a powerful role because it can be very cathartic, right? Like, yeah, that's true. Even if you haven't been through what a character has gone through, or if you have, like, it's a, it's a really intense way to, like, get your feels out of in out of you and like into the you know general space where you feel connected to other people and uh, you know it's an interesting thing to ask about loneliness because 
as soon as you share it, it goes away, right? So, but mm-hmm. a book about loneliness is like a fixed thing that you can share, but the character doesn't know that you're sharing it. So they're still lonely. So it's like this weird, like mental trickery almost. Super interesting to me. This is a very interesting question in my head. So thank you for asking it. <laughs> I hope that I didn't like give you a book that's too much, but that's A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing by Amor McBride. And that is our show. Woohoo. <laughs> it's a weird note to end on. <laughs> on that note, I'm sorry. I don't know. So thanks for listening to the show this week where we all had, we just had a lot of feelings. We just had a we lot did. of feelings. We did. Um, if you like the show or if you don't, I guess, whichever, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier for other people to find when they're searching for it. Thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram these days, though I did have an epic Trotto rant last night. I'm so sorry. Uh, but on Instagram, I'm at, I'm in, I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am mostly on Tumblr these days. It is jenirl.tumblr.com. Jen with two N's, irl.tumblr.com. And we will talk to y'all next week. <laughs>